welcome everybody. This is the old school, uh, Dr. Stephen Bourgeois and Mr. Ross Miller. No doctor title in front of my name, but we are two old fogies of the teaching profession. And we're here to kind of illuminate some of the issues that are facing teachers and teaching in general. And we're also providing some possible solutions. And so this is what the uh, the purpose of the podcast is. And hopefully you find something in it that you can walk away from. Nourished, enriched, empowered to move forward. Maybe affect change. You know, I just walked away. He probably noticed that um, because I was getting so bored with your introduction. <laughs> it just sounded like words happening there at that point. Weren't words. Or poetry. <laughs> combination of timber, pitch. The qualities of a good speech. You know, you break out new words every, every week. I think you plan this. You like have a list of words on the side. I do. I have a dictionary and the thesaurus right here. So, really? what's, yeah. what's another word for thesaurus? It's the second time you've issued that joke. We've <laughs> only done six podcasts now. <laughs> every time it's out there. You know who, who whose joke that is? What's that? Uh, remember Stephen Wright, the, the guy who was yes, yeah, he was he was sort of I guess sardonic. You know, I was kind of scratch his head and he, so his delivery was way better than mine my favorite stephen wright joke was that he was born a cesarean so now every time he leaves the house he goes through the window always thought that was kind of a funny joke <laughs> <laughs> let's take a moment to appreciate <laughs> i didn't laugh at all <laughs> okay uh, my goodness stephen wright let's uh switch really quickly um before we get too uh, off track here sure uh, you proposed a topic, so why don't you introduce it? The topic today is teacher burnout. And last week, uh, for those of us who uh, listened to last week, and if you haven't, it's a mere click away. But last week, we had talked about the idea that um, uh, I have trouble with meetings. I think that was made quite clear in the 37 or so minutes that we rambled on last week. But I think it's interesting to note that while certainly a lack of maturity goes into what happened, that was also the time when I had gone through my own phase of burnout. You remember we had a couple of young teachers that were, as our boss suggested, was scared to talk to me. And, you know, just because I had become quite surly. So you're talking about your own personal burnout rather than everybody else. I like that because... Uh, you actually did burn out. I watched it. It was really fun, if I remember. <laughs> <laughs> but, I, well, I mean, I, I don't know. Have you ever gone through a phase like that? Not not necessarily what I did, but I mean, have you ever gone through a phase that could be characterized as burnout? I had something which my wife lovingly, lovingly called my spring freakout. <laughs> uh, and I, I mean, I took it so far as that every spring, about this time, actually, uh, I would be hunting for jobs and, and looking outside of education, anything. But I was, I was pretty much done, and every year was a new year, and, and I was on the fence. And I actually left twice, um, and I left a lot of positions just to switch, get any change, you know, leave, get a different school job, but also left the profession entirely. So, yes, I burned out, but it wasn't as entertaining as yours. Is it burnout if it happens on a regular basis or is that just some sort of psychosis? Well, I think it was a misplaced um, career choice, most likely. <laughs> and, and, and so because I, I, you know, I wouldn't you think that if you're right for a, a job and you and you love it and it's your 
uh, calling that, that you're not going to be thinking about leaving, you know, every day that has a why in it, basically. I don't know. Um, well, I, I think, I think part of what creates burnout is a misunderstanding about the function of work. At least that's, that's how I got out of my particular funk. Okay. That sounds intelligent. Well, yes. I didn't really understand it, but go ahead. So you mentioned funk and. Well, here's the deal. Well, here's the deal. So one of the things that I have speculated about is how teaching is, uh, the paradigm in which teaching is discussed. And oftentimes it is discussed in what can only be described as quasi-religious terminology. You did it a few minutes ago, talking about somebody's calling. You know, previous, the notion of someone's calling was generally connected to to be called into the ministry or to be called to serve the God or something to that extent. And I think the fact that a lot of people tend to speak of teaching in such terms creates a misconception about the job itself. Because then once you start to burn out, the question becomes, oh, my goodness, I was supposed to be about the children. I was supposed to be about the kids. This was all supposed to be about making sure that the future generation can somehow carry on. And now all of a sudden, I'm, I don't want to do that. So you start to sit there and you, you start to kind of ramble in your head. Well, if I'm not a teacher, then what am I? And I think that's part of the problem. It's part of the problem in a couple of areas. One, it's a part of a problem when it comes to teacher burnout, it's also part of the problem in how easily it is to take advantage of teachers because anytime a teacher complains too loudly, then one of the retorts will be, well, this is for the students, right? And this is, this is why we do this job. And most teachers are like, yeah, I guess so. You know, and then all of a sudden you end up doing way more than you ideally should. It's real, real hard profession, first of all. And, you know, I've described it as, as missionary work and, you know, in joking, you know, because they don't pay much. So you've, you've signed on for a a job that's really hard and you don't get much money for it or certainly recognition. Uh, We've both spent a lot of time in Germany and been around German and European teachers and they're thought of quite differently. And I don't know that they burn out because they're getting paid really well and their retirement is, um, quite impressive compared to what we receive. Well, I think, you know, when you have, I think when you have that kind of the way others treat you and the way others view you, when you lack that respect societally, when you lack that respect from administration, I think one of the things you turn to is you try to find other ways to trumpet what you do. Well, it's not about money. Well, it's not about accolades. It's about the children. It's about the kids. And not only does that horribly distort what it is that you're supposed to be doing, but it also creates also kind of a, a breeding ground for other potential problems as far as like what we do, how we do things in the classroom. And I think that's the source. If I can be so bold as to extrapolate my issues with everybody else's issues, which certainly is problematic, but from my own experience and from the experience of people 
who I know have gone through this, this is part of the issue. Well, I do study this, you know, and and really on a high level, not not getting into the weeds of the details of, of why, but uh, I, I I have a survey business, and I send out you know hundreds and hundreds and thousands of surveys to teachers, and there's always one item that says I intend to return to my position next year, um, and the results are typically around 90%. Uh, this year, they've dropped, you know, probably by about 10 points because of, of COVID <laughs> in those situations. Right. Uh, that'll change. It'll, it'll creep back up, uh, we, we expect. But what I found interesting is, is that uh, I'm asking it in one point in time. You know, maybe it's, it's February 1st. Maybe it's, it, it's the end of August. And, and that answer, you know, for me personally, maybe you could talk to this also, you know, changed uh, from day to day, and, and it's a level of agreement. I, I, you know, I'm giving it a five. I mean, I'm definitely coming back, but it shifted. And I, you know, for me, the one of the low points was always the August professional development. That was one time when I looked for the exits because I, I really, I, I didn't. I mean, you, you talk about not liking uh, faculty meetings. I hated that. I mean, to the point right. where you know, I, I would from my parking lot drive to the district office and park and think. You know, do I walk in and resign? <laughs> I just, and then, or do I have to subject myself to, you know, four more days of this? And it was torture, literally torture. Um, when I got to my classroom, they, and they eventually let you kind of prepare. You know, things jumped up quite a bit. Right. And I saw my students. Uh, it was great. And then it started to kind of drop, you know. So, so it was not the same, I guess, uh, day to day, month to month. Um, is that your experience? What's interesting, because I want to start with an observation you once made, that you can judge faculty morale by how many people back into their parking spots. Uh, can you describe that? In a little <laughs> I'm not sure if people know what that means. Well, as far as like, instead of pulling into it face first, front end first, where you have to kind of back up to get out of the place, if you back into your spot, it allows you the quickest means to leave the facility once the job is done. And I think there's, I think there's something to that. I think there's something to the idea that the, and, and right now we got a lot of people backing into parking spots. And again, I don't know how serious you take that, but I find it a, and I have paid attention to it ever since you first brought that up. I have noticed it now. So it's a good word picture and, and I'd like to study it quite frankly. And, and I can do that just by <laughs> collecting data. Um, but, but I think you're applying, implying a few things. You know, number one, they're ready for the weekend every day. You know, it's like they, mm. they're ready to roll. Um, I've also wondered, you know, about when teachers arrive and, and when they leave um, the, the ones who are really locked in are probably going to get there early. I always wanted to arrive 90 minutes before I saw a student. That was always my goal because yeah. I, otherwise the day is very stressful. You're always catching up. Um, on the other end of it, um, leaving, you know, I'm, I kind of looked down on teachers to some extent who would just leave right when the bell rang and kind of beat their students to the car. Right. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's pretty impressive. It's a real busy parking lot and you sneak sure. out to, to beat the traffic. And, and right. then there's a continuum after that, you know, and, and right. We, we don't want teachers that are really, really late either because those are the ones who are driving themselves crazy. Right. So there's a, a sweet spot, but but the backing into the parking place is a probably a sign, you know, that they're not there for those. <laughs> they want to get out of there as soon as possible. 
I think as far as the day-to-day kind of looking at the job, I think like any job, I mean, there are days where you walk out of there going, man, what a great day. And then there's days you walk out and you're like, God bless it. That was a horrible day. Am I really cut out to do this gig? You know? And so I, I think it, I think it is a day-to-day proposition. I think you interview or you survey somebody on February 1st, February 2nd, you're likely to get a different answer. It depends upon what happens. And, you know, you once provided the visual of how for the last 25 years, I've agreed to lock myself into a room full of teenagers. And sometimes that can, sometimes that can be fun and sometimes that can be horrific, you know? And so I, I think because they're fickle, I think your reaction to the job is fickled and that's what, that's what creates the uncertainty. Now, my uncertainty this year is heightened by the fact that technically I could retire after this year. Now, the problem is, is that I have a six-year-old. And so retiring not to work is not really an option. It would, you know, really what I'm banking on is that millions of people start listening to this podcast. But if, you know, I'm laughing internally at that. (laughs) (laughs) It's going to happen. We have, we have the ability, but I think one of the things that, you know, I think my situation is a little bit different simply because I can retire. And as the great part, Bill Parcells once said, you know, once you're thinking about retirement, you're retired. It's just a question of you going through the formality of putting in the paperwork. And so I think it's fighting that feeling. I think it's, um, you know, and I had a friend of mine who, uh, God rest his soul, he's dead now, but I had a friend of mine who, he used to work for a company and he stayed around long past when he could retire. And I once asked him, I said, how long are you going to work? He said, I'm going to work till they piss me off. And then I'm just going to walk out. (laughs) And that that's a very freeing notion, you know, uh, from someone in my position, it's a very liberating sense, but your average teacher doesn't have that luxury. So. No, they're, they're pretty well trapped. Um, There are a lot of things on the side of, you know, not, leaving your position. Um, I think teachers believe they're trained to be teachers and, and really lack confidence to try something else. Mm-hmm. They're risking their, their state retirement. Um, so it, it, there's a lot behind that decision. Um, we have talked about meetings and how we don't like them. I really don't like professional development, uh, particularly day after day after day. Just the simple faculty meeting is stressful. Um, but um, you, you alluded to this. You we, we as teachers spend most of our day with that door closed and, and students. And we'll go outside and watch students walk through the, the hallway, and then we'll go back and teach again, mm. uh, re- repeat, repeat, repeat. Uh, we'll have lunch with faculty members, maybe in the faculty room. We've talked about that, but maybe that's not a great place to be <laughs> if you're thinking about burnout. <laughs> getting fire to put on you know, gasoline on a fire, maybe. Um, but let's maybe deconstruct what happens in the classroom because there's something about that relationship and the time with students in our case, high school students that might uh, contribute to that need to look for the exits. Well, I will tell you that for me now, other people may have a different experience for me. When I leave the classroom, it will not be because of students necessarily. It'll be because of other things beyond my classroom that send me on my way. The kids, that's a that's too, that's 
too transient of a influence on things. You know, some days they're great, some days they're horrible, and we're talking about the same kids. And so I don't know how much you should, uh, how much you should uh, 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 look to the students as the reason why you're ready to leave or not leave. I think a lot of it, what some teachers respond to, is either the higher ups, the the kind of the structure of the school day. Uh, the, the the degree to which a teacher feels supported by the administration, I think that has a big part in whether a, a teacher sticks it out or not. And so I think as far as in the classroom, that can certainly have an influence. But again, I think it's too too variable, it's too many variables within the classroom. Outside the classroom is another matter altogether. Well, the, the basic level of being able to manage your classroom in a way that makes you comfortable Mm. Um, you know, that that is, a, I guess, the first level of being satisfied as a teacher. And, and a lot of them, a lot of teachers aren't, aren't able to do that. So they're just struggling uh, to be in a room w- with students. For, for me, it gave me energy. I, I like my students and enjoyed the ongoing conversation. Um, but the, the struggle is, is when you have additional responsibilities. When you have mm. to turn in grades, you have to um, fill out reports, all, you know, go to ARG meetings, all these extra responsibilities. You know, if it's just your job, you've already planned for that. You know what you're going to do, but anything extra, or you have to talk to a parent, these outside forces, I think are coming in more readily once we, we got into state testing so intensely. Uh, and then also the, the idea of a grade portal, you know, where people are watching your every move uh, from afar. Well, we used to whack, wax whimsical about the notion of you know, whether, um, you know, parents knew the grades or the students knew the grades, we were the sole keepers of the grades. And then once the portal came in, it did two things. One, it, it put more highlight on the day-to-day happenings rather than looking at it holistically, which from an educational standpoint, you can't tell anything from a day-to-day view of what's happening in the classroom. You have to look at it holistically. The second thing it did was it created this overemphasis on grades. I mean, it was already there. This just added fuel to the fire. And so I think one of the things that also can lead to a teacher burning out has to do with the kind of interactions they have with parents. And parents, some parents, can be like sharks in the water. They smell blood. They're going to come after a teacher if they feel like the teacher is not confident in their grading, if they're not confident in what they're doing. And that creates a greater level of uncertainty with the teacher. The teacher doesn't want to have conversations with parents. And it's it's just, it kind of builds on one on top of the other. So we're really getting into autonomy. You know, and I would agree that's probably the, the biggest factor um, for, for other teachers is probably other things. But I want to jump way back to when I was a student. And I won't even say what year that was, but it was, it was a long, long one, <laughs> one room schoolhouse and not that again. Um, but I, I remember you know my, my teachers giving me grades, and I did really well in high school. I had a you know one grade that wasn't great in a, in a math class. And you know, but in all my classes, until I got that progress report at nine weeks, um, I didn't know what my grade was. And, mm-hmm. um, and, and your grade was based upon your participation and your test scores and, and whatever the teacher thought. Right. Same thing from the parents. They got the progress report and they, 
they had nothing to go on, you know, to complain, <laughs> you know, and, and the same, and nobody expected anything different. Mm. You know? And then when you get your semester grade, well, it's probably related to that, you know, progress. So you have an idea, but, but what happened, you know, that you open up your grade book to, to the student, uh, to the rest of the school, because no one in the school got to see that it was right. actually sacred and totally private. And now in real time, you know, parents are, are getting alerts. If anybody drops below a 70 on an assignment, alert, alert, both parents and emails. <laughs> when, do you remember when that happened? Uh, well, it didn't happen until I moved into my last district, my current district. Okay. You know, I think before the technology wasn't there. Now, you, now, certainly in my first gig is when they started the kind of um, the, the digital grade book, but that was solely for the teacher. And that was for ease of turning in grades. That had nothing to do with interaction with the parents. The parents certainly didn't have access to it. The students did not have access to it. But then um, my second my second gig and third gig, I, it just wasn't something that was there. It was it seems to be only in the last five to seven years that I've seen it. And um, and it, it certainly has a detrimental effect. Um, and part of that, going back to the notion of, you know, teacher burnout, you know, what what's going to what's going to force a teacher to reconsider what it is they're doing. And here's the other thing. And I don't know if this is controversial or not, but it seems like teaching is the only profession that not only allows for, but encourages outsiders to critique it. People who ideally have no idea about the profession or how to teach or what it means to learn or what have you. You're talking about we, administrators. Well, administrators, parents, all I mean, right. all the sort of all the sort of influence that goes into what a teacher does within a classroom. That's why you got some schmucks out there who think anybody can do this job. You know, the old line, those who can do, those who can't teach. Um, now, and, and I got a particular over, colorful metaphor for you, for those of you who think that, but. Uh, yeah, that bothers me too. And, and the, the signs, the billboards on, you know, want to teach. <laughs> okay. When can you start? Yeah. Yeah. Um, oh, that, is that all it takes? You just got one, two? Well, rats bit. Well, let's go then, you know, let's teach. But I think we, I think we invite this, we allow it because um, there's not the stomach to resist it. And because of that, you know, I think that's part of what makes people say, you know what, there's got to be a better way to make a job, uh, make a living. There's got to be a better job out there. And that's where you have your spring freak out that you so lovingly described earlier. The, the freak out is real. Definitely. Um, <laughs> freak out. The struggle is real. Um, having somebody breach that classroom space. Um, we're talking about an administrator with a clipboard or just a friendly walkthrough. Um, you know, earlier in my, my career, that was a huge deal. And they would give you a, a date and um, actually they would give you a, a range of days, which I really didn't like. <laughs> and, and they said it so casually, I'll be in sometime this week. And, and I really wanted to say, wait a minute, how about at, at, at uh, 2.30 on Wednesday? Uh, and you'll be in there for 15 minutes, right? Um, but they'll say, no, this week I'll, I'll pass by. And so, you know, for me, that was a big deal because you're, you want that over with, but you have to be freaking prepared on every minute for every class. And it was very stressful for a young teacher 
Um, and once it was over, you'd breathe a sigh of relief and you'd have this innocuous discussion maybe or, or some numbers in, in cells about how you did. Uh, but that was a big deal. And I, I wonder, yeah, I mean, you, would, you evaluate teachers to some extent as a department head. Um, is From the teacher's perspective, do you think that's a worry? Oh, it's a worry because I think most people want to be thought of as doing a good job. If you're a self, if you're a uh, uh, if you're a conscientious individual, you want people to think you're doing a good a good job, and so I think for a lot of teachers that is a concern. Now, for me, I, I'm at a point where I just I don't care. You know, it, it's not that I don't care whether people think I'm doing a good job or not, but I'm also not going to do a dog and pony show just because an administrator shows up. You know, and so, um, you know, the classroom is what it is, and. Uh, so I, it doesn't affect me as much, but I think for the younger folks in, in, and even, I can't even be blanketed with old, with the old timers, but I think there is a lot of people that, that want to be thought of well by their bosses and there's nothing wrong with that either. So. Um, there was a built-in dog and pony show when you, when you're a German teacher, it's pretty simple. And it's like the light started <laughs> flickering. All I do is speak German um, with my students back and forth. And and eventually the the observer will go right go away and write this review. <laughs> Doctor Bourgeois, his students uh, speak fluent German. I, I, someone actually wrote that down, um, and and it was a, a real easy thing to do. So once I I got that idea, I thought I'm not going to worry anymore. I just we just go all in on German, and kids know it, I know it, and it, everybody's happy in the end. I remember a couple of years ago, a vice principal came in. And I can tell you can always tell there's a there's a shift in the force in the room, even if I can't see who's coming into the room. Uh, of course, the kids can because they're looking towards the door. And so you can tell that there's something has changed. And then I know someone's in the room and then the vice principal is sitting there and he's kind of making notes. And I, I remember casually remarking to the students, I said, it's a little bit like being at the zoo, isn't it? You know, where you <laughs> being judge, being judged for your, uh, your quote unquote, natural behavior inside of a cage. But, um, um, but th there is something I, mean, I, you have to have some type of ability to evaluate teachers. Um, and maybe there's simply no good way of doing it. But um, but it, it does provide its own comedic effects from time to time. Um, well, there's probably a more direct approach. You know, that administrator goes into the room with a clipboard. Uh, he could turn to a student and say, how's this joker up in front doing? <laughs> and they'll answer him for sure. Oh, we, we really like Mr. Miller, but then they'll, they'll give you a list of things. Um, but but we're, we're really afraid for real conversations with, with students. That's the last thing we want, right? Right. They, they would definitely answer that because um, they're the wild card in the bunch. So I think so. Um, so what else about burnout? The term itself is kind of interesting because the implication to me is that once you burn out, you can't recover. Well, that's true. But I think for me, I think the turning point for me, and I hope as you did as much as you enjoyed the burnout phase that I went through, Hopefully, you also appreciate it as a friend and a colleague and a trusted advisor and mentor. You also enjoyed when I started to come out of it. Did you? No. no. Okay. <laughs> I was crushed. Um, 
<laughs> I mean, we, we, drove, we drove to school together for yes. about five years and, and I looked forward to, to that part. Uh, but I think, you know, what I did was that for me personally, and again, you know, I'm speaking generally about something that's a very individual experience, but for me, it, it, me get coming out of being burned out had to do with me reevaluating what I was doing as a job. And I remember a conversation I had with my godfather and my godfather used to be a longshoreman on the docks in Baltimore. And it's a tough job. You got to unload ships. You got to load them up. You know, it's, it's a tough gig. And I remember asking him one time, I said, do you like your job? He goes, and he looked at me like I had three heads. <laughs> he said, what do you mean? Do I like my job? I said, well, do you like doing it? He said, what does that have to do with anything? I'm not doing this job because I like it. I'm doing this job because I get paid well and I'm able to provide for my family and I'm able to live a life outside the school. And when I remembered that, I think I, I think there was like a switch in my head. So gone was the notion of this rather evangelical path that I was on in the classroom. And it became more of a simply a part of my life and not my life altogether. And at that point, you know, I still love working. I still love teaching. I still love dealing with the students. I just love my family and friends more, you know, and I, 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 and so the money that I make, the money I make is the importance of that money has to do with what I can do with my family and what I can do with friends and what I can do over the summer or something of those, of those lines. And so I think once the job stops becoming everything, then I can I think you can take a healthier approach to what it is you do. And maybe you become a more tolerable person to be around unless you happen to be the person driving in the car with you, going home or going to school on a regular basis. But it was pretty fun. Um the the you mentioned money and there there's a built-in disincentive to teach, which is that you have maybe a one or two percent increase of pay if you're lucky every year. Hmm. Um, in many jobs, any any type of job, if you work for a company and you stay for five years, you you have promotions, and, and eventually you you're making a lot more money. And late in your career, you're not just you know thirty percent above where you were at the beginning, something like that. Um, so for a teacher, they, they have some potential mobility, but it's to move out of teaching, right? And I know you've you've seen a lot of teachers who can get their masters, their administrative certificate, and 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 leave the fold, um, but but so there are some uh, examples or some options. But for somebody who is a teacher, um, you're you're really stuck in that, and you can kind of tell what you're gonna what your retirement will be because it's all in a little chart. Right. Um, I, I wonder if that has anything to do with the dissatisfaction of of, of teachers. As far as the pay goes, well, just you know, just the. Perf- um, I mean, we we've talked before about you know teachers complaining a lot. Um, and, and, and maybe, you know, there's something to that, that they're, they're, let's face it, they're underpaid for the importance of the work they're doing. I agree with that. At the same time, I'm always baffled by teachers who complain about it. <laughs> Cause I'm like, did you not know, was it your thought that we actually got paid a lot <laughs> and then you entered into a profession and lo and behold, you weren't getting that much money. I mean, I, I don't understand it's like complaining that the sun comes up every day. Did you not know that the sun was going to come up today? I mean, I, I, so to a certain degree, I think you could have a low paying job, but I think if the situation within the job is better, I think people are willing to work 
for less money if they feel more respected, if they feel more valued, if they have more uh, agency, autonomy, or whatever you, you want to call it within the classroom, if there's a level of respect for them. I think people are willing to handle a job that pays less. I think the, I think the problem comes in when you get paid less and you don't get much of anything else out of that list. I think that's when, that's when you have problems. But I, th- I think the pay in and of itself is not the issue. I think it, every, I think it's everything around the pay, and the pay is just an easy thing to talk about because it's an easy thing to fix, potentially. All that other mess that requires a complete system overhaul. But the pay, well, that's just a vote by the school board. We we want to give all of our teachers five thousand more dollars. Bam, there you go, done and dusted. You know, but everything else that requires a complete rethink of how we educate. And that's not going to be done, at least not done quickly. And I think therein lies the issue. Well, it used to be that teachers would get a bad rap because they supposedly had June, July, and August off, uh, which has kind of shrunk, I guess you would say, <laughs> yeah. to early, early August, you're doing professional development or whatever. Yeah. Um, is that a factor in you teaching this long, that you would have relatively long summer vacations? I think the summer vacations do allow you to recharge. It is a difficult job. It requires a lot from you. And, um, you know, other, other schools around the world that they don't necessarily have the three months off in the summer or two and a half months as it is now, but they have throughout the year, they have vacations. And so I think there is something about a job that is as challenging as teaching is, that it should have some of these perks, if you want to call them that. Uh, because it is a recharge. For me, it was a recharge. I think if I had, if I didn't have quite that full summer, I think it would be problematic because I put a lot into what I do. And because of that, I need to be able to get some kind of distance from it to be able to kind of appreciate it the next go around. And, um, but certainly I think there are some, you know, there's some people that do it just for, and those are the idiots in the profession. You know, those who are doing it for the three best reasons to be a teacher, you know, is they, they, uh, they back their car into there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't know. I, I, I but I, um, I kind of lost the question now, but um, that's okay. It was a great question, but I think you did lose it. Um, <laughs> you know, we, we, we've talked a lot about, you know, some of the, challenges of, of teaching but the on the other side is that we as teachers get some things that other professions don't get you know sure, and, most definitely and and the closeness with a i mean to have a conversation with a group of, of students um we start to love that you know and and, and we're, we're so comfortable with that and we're, we're helping kids mm-hmm. you know we're, we're raising them to some extent and individually they're not all of ours i've found that we as teachers connect with different kids so the faculty all has their their students um, but there, there's there's something that you can't really um, talk about because it's almost you know be, you have to experience it um, to to understand it. Uh, I can give one example. Um, when I left teaching, um, I left to play jazz piano in, in a bunch of bars and restaurants and hotels, um, and, and I, I enjoyed that. But I but there was something missing, and you know as I was doing that, I noticed uh, I was in a, a very nice uh, hotel. You know, playing in the, in the lobby, and suddenly there were three um, high school students who came over to the piano. Have I told you the story? No. 
um, yeah, so they and, and they were high school boys, you know, and they, they looked a little rough around the edges. And <laughs> I, I could see the people in the lounge were going, Oh no, what, what's how is he going to handle this? You know, he's a <laughs> quiet jazz pianist. And 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 so I, I finished the, the song, you know, and and started talking to them. And and a couple of I asked them, So, what you know, are you all musicians? And they said, "Well, yeah, we're in band, and and uh, we really enjoy it." And it was just a normal conversation. And um, I said, "Well, anything you want to hear?" And they mentioned something, and I played it. And the, so they were just hanging out with me as I was playing, and that little light again started to flicker. And I realized that you know, and I had taught for about fifteen years. You know, I would developed this ease, you know, talking to what others would consider kind of scary people. You know, sure. it was just so natural. Uh, and um, it just it reminded me that I, I, I had developed this comfort, you know, particularly around high school kids. Mm. Um, and, and, and you almost need that, you know, so it, it's kind of like a drug because that's it's such a close relationship. Uh, and after that, not long after that, I went back to the classroom. It's the one thing I do treasure is the ability to be able to have conversations and and. Um, I, I wouldn't be so presumptuous as to say I'm a mentor, but I, th I think in, in talking with some of these students and, you know, just asking them about their lives. And, and sometimes these may, these, these may be students who no one asks them on a regular basis, how they're doing or, you know, what have you. Um, but, but it's also just some interesting folks in your classroom. Now, some of them, not, you know, because they're only interested in one thing. They're inter interested in the grade. They're interested in, in moving on. They don't really have a kind of a, they don't have hobbies. They, they're like professional students and that can be a bit vapid, but I, th I think there's a lot of students though, with whom you can have great conversations and you can have connections. And there's also, and I don't mean to idealize uh, people under the age of 18, but I think you're more likely to get an honest reaction sometimes sure. from students. I would agree. Than you can from adults. Um, so, so that's why maybe, you know, when we have to go to those faculty meetings, it's quite different. You know, it's a lot of pretend conversation and politics. There's very little politics in a, in a classroom. They will tell you what you mean. And mm -hmm. ideally you tell them what you mean as well. Mm -hmm. um, but the, the other part of it, you know, at least, you know, in my class, um, teaching German, uh, I, it, there was a lot of humor happening. It was really hilarious <laughs> on both sides all the time. And, you know, the Katze. Yeah. <laughs> German stories. And, um, but the other part that I try to do is let, you know, the, the students kind of become who they are, let their, you know, let them exaggerate their eccentricities because they're framing their personality. And that's exciting. You know, mm. and, and because you also put some boundaries because, you know, often they'll try things that are just plain stupid or mean. Right. right? And, and you kind of chisel them a little bit with, with mm -hmm. some uh, feedback. Um, but for the most part, it's, it's just really, really funny. And there's a lot of laughter and maybe, you know, people on the outside don't know that. But a, a classroom is a real funny place. And the eccentric ones are sometimes more interesting ones to talk to. Um, you know, I. Yeah, and, and that's where you sometimes can find yourself in a mentoring position. You know, I had a young man who was a uh, who was quite strange, and um, I remember handing back a test to him one time. He says, "Oh my goodness, I didn't do well." I said, "Be careful. If you're going to be strange, you better be good. Otherwise, you're just strange." You know, so you know, and it's just, and he goes, "I never thought about that." You know, and so you just sit there and have these conversations with these kiddos, and um, 
but it's just part of it's it's it was when I was a parent before I actually became a parent. And you, you talked about like kind of raising some of these kiddos and your students. And it's amazing when you talk to their parents sometimes. You know, every you know, I've had conversations, not every time, but I've had conversations with parents where they said, you know, our kid at the dinner table every night talks about something you said in class. I'm like, really? Yeah, I didn't have anything else to talk about, you know. Oh, that's pretty good. Boy. But it, it makes you feel good. It validates yeah. what you're doing. Uh, much more so than anything else that's connected to the teaching profession. And because of that, it makes it feel like that you're doing something worthwhile. I think the fact that they're interested in you, I think that that can sometimes provide a kind of an affirmation to let you know that maybe you're on the right track. And that can also lead someone out of teacher burnout is that kind of realization Mm. that the kids care, that the kids are interested. They want to know, you know, I have a long, you know this, I have a long-standing policy. I, I do not talk politics in my class. Well, I don't talk my politics in class. I talk politics all the time, but I don't speak about my particular views. And my kids desperately want to know my particular well, views. <laughs> and so because of that, it, it, it leads to kind of interesting conversations. But I think you're right. I think the conversations with students are some of the most treasured elements of the teaching profession. And, and I, I also think that we kind of develop our audience, you know, and, and, and for me as, as a, again, a German teacher, I had a specific student. There's a profile of a German student. You know, they want something a little bit different. They're a little bit, again, rough around the edges, uh, but interesting, you know, and back in the early 2000s, you, you remember there were Gothic kids all, you know, a lot of, that was pretty big back then. It probably maybe sure. still is, uh, but there was a time, and so I'm between classes, you know, you'd stand out there, and next to me was a Spanish teacher and a French teacher. We we had to stand in line so the kids didn't go crazy in the halls between classes. And <laughs> so a couple came by next to me, and they said, um, "Look at those kids. Those must be German kids." You know, those are mine. But you know, so I learned to connect with that 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 kind of kid and treat them treat them well, and and you know, as as you know, just understand them, and we connected. Mm-hmm. Uh, the other example, when I really knew that I had my students, um, we were asked to do um, duty during assemblies. And often you stand in the cafeteria, or not the cafeteria, but the auditorium with your arms folded, you know, making sure that kids don't blink or do something stupid. So sure. about 90% of the teachers were in that um, job. But every once in a while, they would send a teacher to what's called gym two. It's just another gym. Uh, where kids could opt out and just hang out because they didn't want that scene of the, you know, the band playing the cheerleaders, all the popular kids. They just wanted to sit it out. Right. And so my duty on that day was gym two. And so I, I wasn't happy. I thought, oh no, I'm going to break up fights. This is going to be really bad. <laughs> so I walked in there, uh, folded my arms, you know, ready to, to, to be official. And, and I looked up in the bleachers. They're just kids sitting around having casual conversations, laughing. And some kids off to the side by themselves drawing or whatever, but no, they weren't raising hell or anything. They were just, um, and I, I look closer and, you know, about 80% of them were German students up there you know, in, in the, in those bleachers. I thought, I know all of these students, what, what's happening here. <laughs> and so it, the, I, I decided that my student profile, my, my kids are gym two students. <laughs> and I had gym two students for 25 years. And, and so that, that's kind of the, my clientele, I guess. Well, certainly a benefit of teaching 
a kind of a specialized subject. You know, for me, everybody's got to swim through U.S. history at some point. And so you, you, you get the great unwashed and the great washed and, you know, what have you. So, but, uh, but, the, but there is, there is, there is uh, something to those relationships. And, and it sometimes is, it's like baseball. Sometimes it can get overly romanticized when people talk about, you know, you know, the teacher, you know, uh, opening up the sky to the student, uh, leading them to enlightenment or what have you. But I think, I think there is something to the idea of how you interact with folks and how successful you are. I think there is a correlation there. But. Um, there was a, a website, one of the schools I, I taught at has, has some Facebook group or something. And, and they asked the students who was their favorite teacher over all these years. And, and, and you know, I was happy to be listed a few times. And so that's not the story that they all said, you know, Dr. Bourgeois, yay. Um, <laughs> but I was surprised at the, the variety because I, I remember all the teachers and, and almost every student had a different favorite teacher, sure. you know, who could connect with them. Um, so, so I think that what we're talking about happened in every, every classroom and, and teachers were popular and important for, for different reasons, really what, the, what those students needed at that time. Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's about a sweet spot. I mean, what works one year won't work the year before. And, you know, so it's a, it's a very precarious thing to have those kind of relationships and being able to connect with students. But, you know, that, that's something I, I just don't know many of all the teachers that I've known that have gone through a burnout. It usually is not the students. I mean, I'm sure it must be for some folks because there are some folks that were never meant to be teachers. You and I, I mean, you we've both seen, I know, we've both seen those teachers that have their desk almost like a barricade. <laughs> to their, they have they have their desk on one side, they have a little side table, and it's almost like they're kind of quartering themselves off from the students. Those are the people that should probably be on, you know, some sort of job, you know, whatever job search sites there are out there. Uh, but I think for a lot of teachers who are burned out, I wonder how much it really has to do with the kiddos and not the context in which all this stuff is happening. So it's really easy to overstay your welcome. Um, and we probably are on this podcast right now. But, <laughs> um, but uh, you know, I, I wonder if, if some teachers just need to you know, leave, leave in a timely fashion in that case, because it does affect students. They tend to be um, tougher, meaner, more coarse in their language and, and just mm. become difficult. Um, but, but burnout, you know, we, we, we came in here to talk about burnout and we spent about the last 15, 20 minutes talking about the, the, the real deeper meaning and the, the joys of teaching. Right. And so, it, you know, but I, I do think that what we said earlier, that it, it, it changes day to day. And, and uh, I guess you can tell by how you drive to school in the morning. You know, are you looking forward to getting there? Or are you just uh, dreading it? You know, when you walk into the door, you have hope or you're thinking, oh, no, I have to do this again. And that's got to be a real frightening, um, scary position when you have to walk in and think, I don't want to do this. Well, yeah, I mean, what, what the Dalai Lama say is that uh, when you wake up in the morning, if you can't find your purpose, you should just stay in bed. Unfortunately, we, we don't have that luxury. So um, uh, I can imagine, yeah, it, it would be quite disheartening to have that feeling. So I do feel bad for those folks in that regard. But uh, well, 
Yeah, well, we said well at the same time. Um, I, I like the it's image. A good sign. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know. Uh, I like the idea of parking backwards. You know, are you, are you, Mr. Miller? Are you parking backwards right now in your your penultimate year? Maybe this is. Uh, it varies. It varies. It, 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 it's part of that day to day thing I talked about. You know, where sometimes I go in and sometimes I back in. So. Okay. Uh, again, I don't know how much you want, how much weight you want to put to that, but uh, well, I but think it, it's really important. You identified it initially. <laughs> you're, 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 you're parking back end first. <laughs> um, um, I don't know, Mr. Mill. I'm going to start doing a little bit of research. You know, I can just go over to your school and see where that that car is. Come on, come on over. Make my con- my uh, conclusions that way. We'll be happy to have you. Just make sure you have a mask. So, <laughs> um, I think we're we're there. Uh, we're there, here, Miller. Well, good discussion, good talk. Yeah, good talk. Yes. Uh, thank you, and goodbye, Herr Miller. Goodbye, Herr Doctor Bourgeois. <laughs>